Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. So Joe Diffie passed away. Literally saw it just now. So I thought I would get on and say a few things and also put back the episode we did with him just a few months ago. I was lucky enough to have become buds with Joe over the last few years, uh, especially the last couple of years. He first came on the radio show in 2013, which to me was a big deal because it's always awesome getting to hang out with people that you liked when you were a kid. And that was definitely the case with Joe Diffie. Uh, I just got a text from a country singer just now who said, uh, dude, Joe Diffie. So sad. I'm really glad he was on your podcast. It was the only long-form interview that I heard from him. So we're going to play it back if you didn't get to hear it. And we also did this around Christmas time, I think, last year, right? Yeah, in December. Yeah, so it, we weren't really able to promote it as much as we would like, would have liked to as, as well. So I hope you, you like it. Uh, just a couple things before we get into it. Joe Diffie died at 61. And this is a few days after his positive coronavirus test came out. Just made a bunch of hits throughout the 90s. By the way, I don't know what day you're listening to this, but he did die Sunday due to complications related to COVID-19. You know, there's a a lot of quotes here. I'll go because with these funerals or with people dying during coronavirus time, what really sucks is you can't get a bunch of people together to appreciate and pay respects. So that, that stinks because, you know, you want to show that you love people, you want to be there for them. Joe Diffie was a Grand Ole Opry member. He was a Grammy winner. We're going to go through some of his catalogs in a second. But to me, he was just a, a good old normal dude who, whenever he put out his new record, he saved me his very first vinyl. And he wrote on it, one of 500. So our condolences out to the whole family there. You know, when Joe came over and did the Bobby cast, I think he brought his whole family with him. Yeah. It was like, they were in here. Yeah. Like an audience. And his daughter was a huge fan of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, I was able to play the Opry with Joe a couple times. It just, it sucks. It does. It really sucks. There's really nothing more to the point except it sucks. 
Um, my favorite song from Joe Diffie was Prop Me Up Beside the Jukebox. I know uh, I got to sing it with him on the radio show because I was like, Joe, I love it, bud. Let me sing it with you. And he was like, all right. So this is my favorite on the video. We talk about it coming up. John Deere Green. Dang, everybody knows this one. On a hot summer night. Pick up, man. Third Rock from the Sun, which is one of those weird songs that I learned every word to as a kid because there are so many words. And I was so proud of myself that I could sing all of it. When I come on the radio, I play it cool, be like, oh, I like this song, but I know every word. And I wouldn't look at them to... I'd just be singing it and hopefully they'd appreciate that I knew every word of the song. Uh, and then uh, Ships That Don't Come In. Here's to all the soldiers who have ever died in vain The insane locked up in themselves The homeless down on Maine To those who stand on empty shores and spin Don't come in. Rest in peace, Joe. Loved you as a kid. Loved you again as an adult. Probably loved you all that time in the middle, too. <laughs> that sucks. It sucks. It sucks. Um, here is the Bobby cast I did with Joe Diffie that I was so excited for that I did it on vacation during Christmas. And I was like, holy crap. I hope you enjoy it. Share it with your friends. And here you go. All right, welcome to episode 217 with a guy I really like and been a big fan of for years, Joe Diffie. Good to hear you. Good to see you. Well, all thank that you. stuff. Thank you. You as well. You know, I was um, looking at, I know most of the stuff about you. Like, I've been a fan. Before we've been able to be friends, I was just a massive fan of you growing up. <laughs> awesome, man. And so, as I kind of went on the deep dive, because I always like to find out, you know, what do I not know about the people that are coming over to the house? Right. Listen to this. I don't know if you even knew this. Oh, Lord. Here we go. On this day, December 16th, 1994, you had the number one song on the Billboard Country Chart with Pickup Man. It was your longest lasting number one, having spent four weeks at number one from December 94 to January 95. Did you know that that was today? No, I didn't know it was today. I, I knew the rest of that, but yeah. I didn't realize the date of it. That's pretty cool. On this day in I counted as four number ones. Yeah. There, yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> so... For example, Luke Combs just spent three weeks at number one, um, and that's a for, for a song the last three weeks at number one, especially today, today, is a really big deal. Yeah. When you have a song that's number one for four weeks in 1994, what's really the the vibe of that? Well, I mean, it was unusual because back then, you know, they put out a lot more songs. The, the frequency of you know, you put out four four or five songs a year, and now you might have one song that stays on the charts lingering there at some point uh, for almost a year you know so uh, so that was kind of the w- weird part we had to we had to wait to see what how long it was going to stay number 1 before we could put out another record so did you feel like that song was going to be a number 1 song i knew it from the instant i heard it really i really did yeah i don't well, know why it's just something about it i just you know have you been able to name and, and nail most of most of your big songs from the first time you heard them yeah, pretty much. Uh, there was a couple that I didn't, uh, like John Deere Green. 
I hated it when I first heard it. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, because the demo, and, and now this is a, it's, it's a long saga, but but when I first heard it, uh, it was done by a, the writer named Dennis Lindy, and he had a very eclectic sound and voice, and he did all his own demos at his house. So it had like a juice harp playing, and like, and I was like, what the heck is that? You know, and then my producer, so we just, he said, ignore the demo part. I, I, I have to add right now that, that I subsequently... Uh, loved all of Dennis Lindy's demos. They were so cool after you got after you kind of figured out what was what was happening, you know. But anyway, my producer said, "Listen to the words," and the, and the, I was like, "Man, I just don't like it at all." He goes, "Well," he said, "He said I think this is a hit," and I said, "Well, we can try it. You know, we'll go in the studio and cut it, and if it doesn't work out, then we can scrap it. You know." So luckily, it worked out. So you go in, and, and at what point is it during the session? Is it during the tracking? When do you go, oh, there might be something here with John Deere Green? Yeah, when we tracked it, you know, because obviously it was a lot different than the demo, you know. So, yeah, we once once we started tracking, I was like, yeah, that's, that is a pretty good song right there. What song of yours, when you play it, gets the biggest response? John Deere Green. And you know what's funny about that? It was not a number one song. I know. Isn't that weird? It, it, and it's, you know, I talk with a lot of young artists now, and they're like, I just want that number one. I'm like, I get it. You do. But... And, and and Keith Urban and I have talked about this, where his a lot of his biggest songs weren't no, number ones. Right, isn't that weird? I, I, you know, of course, back in those days, I mean, there were several over like four or five different charts. So I think it did go number one in one of them. I don't know which one, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, it's, that's always that is a strange phenomenon. Some of your some songs that do go number one don't sell as as well, et cetera. You know, so for me, when I think about your music, like my favorite song is "Prop Me Up." Oh yeah, and that was not a number one song. Yeah, on the on the radio chart. Right. I mean, when I think of Joe Diffie, this is the song for me. I know every word. I remember when it came out. <laughs> I bought the CD and I I memorized every word so I could sing all of. It. I did that and Third Rock because Third Rock is a little harder because the words are a lot faster. Right. Right. But this this is the song for me that if someone's like, "What's your favorite?" Matter of fact, when you came in, I was like, "Joe, you got to play Prop Me Up." <laughs> right. And you did. And, and again, is it, it peaked at number three on the radio chart? Yeah. Weird, right? Yeah, it's a big record for me. Yeah. The video, though, for this song oh, yeah, is what, what I really remember yeah. from the song as well. Because back in the day, we used to really watch CMT for music videos. Right, right, a lot. Yeah, all you know what I remember about that video mostly filming the video. It was so hot, man. It was, and they had this these buckets of like sea breeze. Remember sea breeze? It was kind of like a facial cleanser, or some kind of deal. <laughs> and it was like, but it had like a aromatic kind of effect. And they were dabbing all of us with that stuff, you know. That's, I just remember it was so hot, and plus the dead guy. Yeah, the, he, yeah. he was so funny, man. That, I mean, that 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 to me is those two songs. And and I didn't again as I started deep diving you, I was like, man, my favorite two songs, uh, number five and a number three. Yeah. And, and you say that John Deere Green gets the the biggest. When you do your set list, what do you start with? What's the first song? A uh, third rock from the sun. You come out high energy, yeah. huh? Uh -huh. Which this was a number one song for you. Yeah. I just would have a problem going out and doing the fast stuff quick because then I'd be out of breath for the next three songs. <laughs> that has happened. Yeah, so I'm like, uh, uh. Especially, I'd say where, I, where it happens to me a lot is if I'm, you know, on the Opry, for some reason it makes you nervous. And, well, if you ever get backwards on your breathing in that song, you are screwed. I mean, it's it's over, you know. Tell me about this song, Third Rock. So you, you heard it. Were you like, well, what's this about? It's like what? Um, I, I always thought it was like a little mini movie, you know, which I heard a lot of songwriters say, try to do, try, try to write a little three-minute movie, you know. But I, honestly, this was one that, I mean, even though I liked it, they there was the same publisher had 
played two different songs for us, and uh, and I like the other one better actually, and uh, so uh, you know so anyway I ended up getting both of them had to do a little wheeling and dealing. Some some guy apparently that I, now I can't verify this, but I was told this uh, Garth Brooks wanted Third Rock as well. So and how did you get Third Rock? What was the wheeling? Which one we deal? cut both? We would do both of their songs. Do you know what the other song was? It was called uh, 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 something. About if you're the having radio. to think, I guess it really was never a well, single. Well, it was huh? never a single. Yeah. I'm just Did you put to... it on the record? Yeah, yeah, it's on there. I'm gonna run through your number ones real quick. Uh, let's do uh, home. Yeah. First your, one. Your first one, 1990. Yeah. The debut single. Is that right? Mm-hmm. First song out, mm-hmm. and you go number one. My first six. Went number one. Six in a row. Yeah. So, do you think after, let's say, two or three, that you have it figured out? Uh, you know what? I've I felt like such. I was. I felt a little bit like a rube. I was so naive about the whole process. I mean, even though I kind of knew, I, I kind of knew about, about stuff. But man, when you know, when you get it, when you when you start off like from what I did, I mean, I was on the road three hundred days a year, and so I didn't really have time to think about stuff. I was busy. You know, traveling and, and doing shows and meet, doing meet and greets and all that stuff, you know. So what brought you to Nashville? Meaning, I know the music, I know the, the thought of country music, but there's always something where some, you get that push or you get kind of the itch. Well, I got laid off from my job. I had I was working at a, a foundry back in Duncan, Oklahoma, and uh, they shut the plant down, laid us all off, and, uh, you know, and I'd been singing little VFWs and, how old were you? Oh, 20, uh, 20. I moved, I moved to Nashville when I was 28. Oh, so a little bit older. Yeah, yeah. Compared to like the 19, 22-year-olds right. are moving here now. Exactly. So you get laid off. Yeah, and I said, and I had been to Nashville once before with my aunt and a friend of mine. We had, we we did this little thing as a trio, and we came in, and my aunt had known somebody here in Nashville. And so anyway, we met with them, and I just fell in love with the, with the city then, but I didn't have opportunity because I still had a job at the time, you know. But when I got laid off, I was like, well, you know what? I think I'm just going to try it. So I just loaded up everything I could get in this whole beat-up car I had, and off I went. So at home, you know, you're, you're playing around bars. Are you playing around bars at home at all? Not a lot, honestly. I, I, my background was more of a, a, a singing a gospel group. Then I, then I went from that to a, a bluegrass group. I played bluegrass for about six years with this group called Special Edition. Were you known as the guy that was doing music while working at the plant by your workers? Uh, yeah. By your coworkers? Yeah, they'd always ask me to sing. You know. Would you ever sing at work? I don't remember. Just Probably gather them just, around and be like, all right, boys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they just, they just they'd sing that song, you know, whatever. Isn't it funny how the things at the time that seemed, and this happened over my career and my life too, were really, un- I put finger quotes up, unfortunate things that happened to us turn out to really be blessings. Be blessings, the biggest blessing ever, yeah. Because if I hadn't got laid off, I probably would have, Never left there, you know. So when you get laid off, do you remember how that happened? Did your did your your boss, your foreman, come in and go, "All right, you're done"? No, it was just more of a. I got a phone call, I think, and they said, "Yeah, plant shut down. Don't go out there." <laughs> so and then immediately, do you go, "All right, time to go to Nashville"? Like, was it kind of in the chamber already? No, it, it took a, it took a couple of months, you know, of drawing unemployment. <laughs> I thought, well, you know, I, I might as well. Think of something. I had a good friend of mine. We used to discuss things. He wanted to. He moved to Dallas and became an accountant. And you know, and I said, I want to. He said, yeah, you know, you ought to try music. You're real good at it and all that stuff. So, and when you got to town, did you feel like you were good enough to get in the mix immediately? Um, 
I just felt really lost, <laughs> honestly, when I first got to town because I had just gotten divorced and I missed my kids and, you know, and I was just in this new place and I didn't have a place to live and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. What'd you do? Where'd you move? I finally moved in with a with a musician, a guy named David Greer, and we, we rented a, a house with no heater <laughs> in it for, for about a year. And what are you doing when you first moved to Nashville, meaning... Are you out trying to meet people, play writer rounds? Like what? 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 What um, happens with the new artist? First, then? with me, I was trying. I needed some income, so I got a job. I knew a guy that worked at Gibson Guitars, and so they hired me out there to to work in the uh, the warehouse, shipping guitars everywhere. So, and then after that, I would just do whatever I could. I'd go to to showcases and you know just go hang out, just just to get my get out there and meet people. You know, it's so interesting to hear about because. Like, I know you as a country music legend, but I love hearing, like, the origin story of the hustle because I think so many people don't know that there's a hustle for everyone. Man, I tell you what, there was there was days, seriously, uh, you know, we didn't have anything in the house to eat. I mean, nothing. One time I had, uh, I think I had, like, I don't know, 75 cents on me, and I went by, this is a funny thing ever, uh, <clears throat> I didn't know they didn't have White Castles in the, Duncan. So I saw it said a hamburger, 25 cents. I thought, oh, yeah, I've, I can, you know. So I stopped Get in. a couple burgers. Yeah. So I know. I, was, I said, the guy said, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'd like a hamburger, please. He goes, uh, just one? I said, yeah. I didn't know they were, you know. Tiny. <laughs> tiny. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about this new project. So uh, it's your first ever vinyl, right? Yeah. And so it's called Joe, Joe, Joe Diffie. All right. So <laughs> tell me about this. Uh, it's just a compilation of uh, of, of uh, some number one songs we had, and uh, and we included a new song on it. I just always kind of wanted a vinyl, and it seems to be kind of coming back in fashion right now. So where can people get it? Uh, JoeDiffie.com slash vinyl. And each album is individually autographed and numbered. Mm-hmm. Yep. You sign them all. I did. Or did you have the family sign them all? No, for I signed every stinking one. They're of all them. they're all different signatures. Dude, if you, yeah, if yeah. You, I was. I was trying to be meticulous about it because, you know, you sign 500 <laughs> of anything after a while, you're like, man, I just don't care. You know, I know at first, because I was like, when I did my books, the first book I wrote, I was a little more like, I'm going to make everything so proud. <sighs> after a while. Then you're like, you know what? I think they're going to even like to, you start convincing yourself that sloppy's cooler. Right, too. right. I'm you're like, oh, it's more of my, yeah. art, my artsy side. <laughs> I even at one point, early, early in my career, because I was signing so many things, I was trying to come up with a faster way. To sign my name, just like make a line and two dots or something, you know. But I just it never do look right. You're, you're living here. You you in the same roommate? Are you still together while you're working at the guitar place? Uh, for a little while. Okay. Uh, then I moved out, and uh, that's kind of how I got my first break. Actually, in the music business, was uh, I moved uh, out from with from with him, and I moved in with this uh, brother and sister who I was, worked with the brother at Gibson, and. Uh, uh, as it happened, a uh, uh, super you know talented songwriter guy lived next door, and his name's Johnny Neal, and uh, and so uh, Johnny, you know, he can't see; he's blind. So uh, my friend John, that I moved in with, this is not getting too complicated. No, we got but, plenty of time. But John would would, would uh, you know take him to various things to whatever you need to do sessions or whatever, and then one day John was working, and so. Johnny asked him, he said, a man, I need somebody. He called the house, you know, and I answered the phone. He said, man, I need John to come get me. I said, well, he's not here. And he's like, well, man, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, I'll come get you. He goes, really? So I didn't really know him, you know. So anyway, we hit it off, and we started writing songs together. That's how I got my first publishing deal was through him. Was that a big deal to you to get paid to write songs? Oh, Lord, yes, absolutely. They paid me $100 a week 
to write songs, and then they paid for you know the demos, the cost of the demos. So, and that's how I got kind of discovered, you know, I guess quote unquote. Uh, were you singing the demos? I was singing the demos. So then, the, you know, the musicians and other guys would be like, "Hey, I gotta come see my demo for me," you know. So, what do you think about your your vocal style? What do you think it was that attracted people to you? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I really, I don't know if I can answer that. How would you classify yourself as a singer? Well, pretty country, you know. I mean, uh, but I, I'm able to kind of branch out. Like on this new project, uh, I did a duet with a with an incredible singer named Mark Broussard. I know Mark Broussard. Yeah, he's Mark. like Louisiana. Oh, dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's fantastic, and uh, I just happened to, you know, I uh, I was listening to him uh, as we were riding along on the bus. We listened to various music, and he happened to be in town recording same time I was. So I. We contacted him, and I just wanted to go meet him and say hi, you know. So I did, and we, he played me some of this new album he was working on. And so we became friends. You know, we're not like super close friends or anything. But uh, then I, I said, man, I'm looking to do some duets. I said, would you be interested in singing something? He goes, yeah. So he came over, and, and we were looking at each other. We're like, well, what do we do? He goes, I don't know. I said, uh, you know, Pride and Joy? I said, kind of. Steve yeah. Vaughn, right? Yeah. 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 I said, kind of. I kind of do, yeah. And, and so we... Uh, we said, let's do that one. So we, we end up doing that one. That's pretty cool. Here it is right here. She's my pride and joy. She's my sweet little baby. I'm my little boy. Well, I love my lady. She's long and lean. You mess with her, you see a man. And that's on the, the new the yeah. vinyl project. Yeah. Hey, Mike, will you see these from Louisiana? He is. He's from he, Karen Crow. Okay, I just I never want to mess it up. I like yeah. I felt like he was. Yeah, Karen I'm, Karen Crow, Louisiana. Yeah. And you grew up in Oklahoma. Yeah. When Mostly. You, when you were growing up, and is it true you were so good at all the sports that they named you like athlete of the year at yeah. your school? <laughs> yeah. Is that true? <laughs> that's, well, that's the old days, but yeah. What well, What was your sport? Uh, well, I'm mostly I, I I was probably the best at football. I played like we it was a, it was a small school, you know. So play both ways. Played both ways. We did never in high too, really, yeah. yeah. Never left the field really. I, you know, I was I was a deep guy on punts and kickoffs, and then I also was like, you know, I never left the field. So but, are you, yeah, are you was, still a big football fan? Oh yeah. Who's well, your team? Well, I mean, I, I, of course, I like the, the pros. I like the Titans, and of course, the Cowboys. That's who I grew up around was near the cow the Cowboys. So, uh, uh, college team Oklahoma, OU. Yeah, big Sooner fan. Yeah. So did you watch the Heisman ceremony? I did not. I so was working. Jalen got third. He got third. He got yeah. third. Um, great season. Yeah. And but OU's in it. They're playing LSU. I know they're in the top four. It's four something. versus one. That's gonna be a tough game, brother. That's gonna be a real. Hard it is gonna game. be a real be tough a real, game. Yeah. It's, LSU is loaded. Well, uh, so you're a good football player. You're a punt returner, huh? <clears throat> well, yes. Ish. The ish. Yeah. I, I I returned a few punts. And I'll tell you what I did not like was standing there vulnerable as that ball is coming down. I know. And you can just feel without even seeing. You can, you know how if you're in yeah. a room, Joe, and you know somebody's looking at Absolutely. you? Absolutely. You don't have to look up to feel someone's <laughs> right. eyes on you. Exactly. But you're imagining that with nine or ten guys coming at you hard. Right. Same kind of feeling. And you're like trying to judge, do I catch do it? Do I catch And do, do I run? I run? Do, do I, I wave? Yeah. Yeah. Once it's I, harder than it looks, I guarantee you that. Yeah, because you have to have tremendous focus, yeah. right? And, and once I um, I didn't fair catch it, I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna just take off with this ball. Thought I had some space, and the ball is coming down, and I get a little little alligator arm, and it hits my <laughs> hand, and it and it I I, yeah. I, I bobble it, and it's on the ground, and it was the only time 
that I really lunged for a fumble in my my because I mostly play wide receiver. Yeah. Um, and I didn't return a lot of punts, especially after this story here. But I I, I botched the ball, and I was like, I got to go dive for it. And and diving for a fumble was I think the the most physical part of because it, it was just bam bam. Oh, ball everybody's punt. piling on, man. And diving, yeah. and I was on the bottom, and I, and I was oh, like, Lord. I'm done. You ever hear those guys scream in the bottom, you know, because they're down there and then they, they something's happening to them? They, oh, yeah. You hear that terrified people scream. Grab not, people grab oh, nuts and yeah, twist yeah. and it's a whole thing. Yeah, it's a whole deal. It's a whole, so you play football, you play basketball? Basketball. Baseball? Baseball, track, golf. Five-sport guy, huh? Yeah. Did you think about playing in college at all? Uh, well, I, I thought about but I never did get any uh, scholarship offers for football. I actually had some... Small college offered me a sight unseen basketball scholarship, oddly enough, and I wasn't that great. At, I mean, I was okay, but, you know. But uh, but no, I, uh, I have a cousin that played at Oklahoma State, and uh, he was younger than I. And so he, I asked him, I said, do you think I could have played it? He goes, oh, absolutely. There's really? No so, but I never get any scholarship offers. I had a coach, a couple of coaches in small colleges asked me to walk on, and if it worked out, they'd give me a right. scholarship. But I never did. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. So you're in Nashville, and so you're driving Jimmy, right? Johnny Neal. Johnny, excuse yeah, me. There's yeah. John and Johnny. Yeah. You're driving Johnny Neal. Right. And so you go pick him up the first time, mm-hmm. and then how does that relationship turn into something? Because you guys start well, writing together. Well, I had bugged him a couple times that I'd love to write with him. You know, of course, I'm just a newbie. You know, I didn't really know much about it. And he kind of gave me the old brush off, you know. Well, maybe one day we'll, maybe, you know. But we just hit it off. We had a, mo- a few minutes to, like, actually talk and, and you know, and goofing around. And, and so he said, well, come on over. So we wrote a couple songs, and, 
and uh, he had a little studio at his at his house that uh, and uh, so we turned those demos in and his publisher at the time signed signed me as well so uh, that's kind of how it got started and our one of you know I don't think John and I ever got a we got a couple of cuts I got one on the remember the Forrester sisters yeah yeah it's called come hold me and then uh, so then I started writing with another guy named Lonnie Wilson, great drummer, uh, session drummer, and writer and singer. And uh, we had uh, our first uh, our first top five record with Holly Dunn. Uh, had there goes my heart again was the name of it. So, so a top five song back in late eighties. Did you make any money off that? Dude, I went to the mailbox. I've never seen that much money in my life. Really? It was like the first installment, you know? Yeah, I was like, I got to write more songs. <laughs> it's pretty cool. And how long do those checks keep coming? Oh, they, they had the first year is pretty good, and after that it tapers off significantly and almost down to nothing, you know. And you're cutting these demos that people are interested in your, in your singing style, which we were on a minute ago. So when did it become a thing where you go, okay, I think it's time for me to try to be an artist? Well, I mean, uh, I, that's kind of what I had in mind all, all along, but I just knew that songwriting would be a good avenue to, to meet people and, and to, you know, just because it was part of the music business, such a significant part. So I just, but I always had that in my, in my mind, uh, being an artist. But, uh, and I didn't really have any way to, that, that I knew. It takes somebody to promote you, basically. And so I started doing demos for these, these couple of guys, and, uh, and uh, they knew uh, they were good friends with Bob Montgomery, uh, who was at Epic Records at the time. And, uh, and so after they played him some demos, so they, he called me over and met with me and, Said, uh, how would you like to have a record deal? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty cool. So that was the conversation uh-huh. that kind of changed it all for yeah. you. The how would you like to have a record deal conversation? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he's, he said, I said, man, I've, I want to do this my whole life. And he said, no, you haven't. I was like, I looked at him. I was like, what, what do you mean? He goes, well, you haven't lived your whole life yet. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> One of those guys. <laughs> how long from when you were laid off until you got your record deal? Three years. So you spent a couple months figuring it out. You moved here. You wrote. So three years from there to there. Right. Do you feel like you matured a lot as an artist in that time? Uh, in those three years, yeah. uh, probably just just from the sheer volume of demos and stuff I did. Uh, you know, they're all various styles, and um, so I, you kind of had to learn to to do that kind of. You know, just so yeah, I think so. You know, a lot of the artists and a lot of my friends too that that, that are here, that you kind of come in in classes. You don't do it on purpose. But when you move to town, you start meeting other people that move to town around the same time, right. and that kind of becomes your pack that you grow up with because you're all on a similar level. Exactly. When you move here, like who is some of the folks in your class? Well, let's see. There was uh, uh, Trisha Yearwood. Uh, there was uh, T. Graham Brown. There was, um, uh, you know, Garth was singing some demos. Uh, I don't know if many of the other ones were as, you know, but, but I mean the same guys that are, you know, in my generation are – you know, of course, the uh, Mark Chestnuts and Tracy Lawrence and those guys. You know, so what was uh, Trisha doing? Was she working at, at Mary Tyler Moore Music, or was she singing I, demos? I'm not the- sure. I just I had only met her a few times, and we sang a couple of demos together. Really? Yeah, which is cool. And then I got <laughs> I got her to sing one a, a chick song, quote unquote, that I had written. So she sang it for me. So we've been friends ever since. So whenever you hear or you see someone like Garth or Trisha back then. Were you like, man? There's something special about them. Like you think, or is it, or is it just the land of giants where everybody's good? Uh, most everybody was good. You know, it's 
it was just you felt like it was just kind of a crapshoot, you know. Somebody's going to get lucky and get that deal, and and something happened. I tell you a weird story, and people might think this is really odd. I've, I've, I've done this twice in my life. Uh, I went to see. I went to a showcase where Gar, it was Garth, and it was at the at Douglas Corner. And I was sitting around having a beer, you know, walking, talking to some friends of mine. And I look up, and he's playing and up there. And I saw an aura around him. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. So I started looking around the room. I thought, well, the lights got to be weird. That's something weird going on here. And I didn't find, I couldn't find any reason that he had a, a blue aura around him. I swear to goodness, it was the weirdest thing. And the other time was my, my wife, Tara. I saw her. She had an aura. Now, do you think that that's in your eyes? Do you think that you saw something special? I didn't know what it was. It was yeah. just I saw, I saw it, and I asked, I said, y'all see that? And everybody else was like, no. And I'm like, oh, man, it's okay. I'm, I'm going to keep quiet here. So, Did you ever talk to Garth in the early days? Were you guys buddies A few times. We, yeah. we weren't super close or anything, you know. Who were your buds musically? I, who, were your buddies? I, who did you like tour with? Who did you like to tour with? Well, I had a lot of them. I, you know, I, I like... All of the people I've toured with. But let's know? do this. Mount Rushmore of your favorite tour buddies. Four oh, of Lord. them. You only get uh, four. Oh, gosh. That's that's hard, man. It is. Uh, I'm, putting you, I'm putting the screws to yeah, you, Joe. I mean, of course, I mean, I, I toured with Garth some. I didn't do a whole lot. But we, we, uh, he used to open shows for me, oddly enough. Yeah. And uh, so, but we did that, and I opened some shows for him after that. Uh, of course, you know, my one of my closest buddies is Mark Chestnut, and uh you know, he's he's always really consistent. And uh, gosh, who else would it be uh, that I toured with? Uh, you know, Travis Tritt's an, an incredible singer. Did a, long, a year-long tour with him. How was that? Because I know Travis a little bit, and he's, he's at times, is very in your face. Yeah. And at times, is, is super is super warm. Yeah. Well, how, how was you and Travis's relationship? It was good. Yeah? It was very good, yeah. It, uh, you know, we just... We just had a good time as me, uh, Travis, myself, and uh, Leroy Parnell were out there. And, uh, and it was a good package. You know, we had a lot of fun. You got one more on the Mount Rushmore. Oh, gosh. Oh. You got Garth, Garth Chestnut. Chestnut. Uh, Tracy Lawrence. You know, Tracy's always good, you know, when you, when you go see him. I'm trying to think who else I toured with. I've done so many, you know, various packages here and there yeah. that I, I can't even remember them. You ever put a kid opening and that kid turned out to be a big star way later on? Uh, let me think. I want. I almost said Brad Paisley, but I'm not sure that ever happened. <laughs> you know, because I, I, I see some. I, there, I met a kid the other night that that, uh, that came up and he opened for and me and Chestnut were doing an acoustic thing, and he came up and sang. And this kid was really good. You know, what was his name? Remember? I don't remember. It's probably is me. It was you. Yeah, it's yeah. me. It's me. <laughs> some of the little place in Texas we were at, and man, we got him up to sing, and he was like, he nailed. It. He sang. Uh, is it cold in here? My song. So. Here's another number one. This is If the Devil Danced. If the devil danced in empty pockets, he'd have a bond mind. Well, he said friend. A little bit of that hang. Texas swing in that song. Yeah. 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 It's, is that your second number one song? Uh, I know. I think that was like the third one. Yeah. I believe. So, Home Hits. You have a number one. What was the second big one for you? If You Want Me To. Okay. If You Want Me To. And then I think Devil. Or, oh, actually, it may have been New Way to Lap and Old Flight. I can't remember. I lost track. Uh, Pickup Man, which jam. Where do you put this in the set list? Oh, it's fourth or fifth. It's got to be interesting to put together a set list for you because you have so many big songs. It's hard. It's really hard. I remember remember touring with George. I I got the the final with George Strait. Put put him on that Mount Rushmore. You toured with George Strait? Yeah, yeah, when I first started. What year was that? 
It had to have been 91 or 2, somewhere in that range. What is a tour like with you and George Strait? Well, I didn't really get to see George very much, you know. He was he was kind of a private person, and uh, you know, and he didn't really come to sound checks or anything. So, I mean, I saw him occasionally, and he's super super nice, man. He just uh, and uh, I just remember I was I was pretty tickled when he finally you know said, "Hey, Joe, how you doing?" I'm like, "All right, <laughs> George knows my name now." So, uh, bigger than the Beatles. Yeah, here's this one right here, number one for you. You know, for me, whenever I would hear you as a kid, I always felt like you were smiling when you were singing. <laughs> like that, the, that. That is part of it, you know, when you're trying to, I, I mean, you do think of that. You try to emote, you know, put your feelings into the, into the songs you're singing. So, yeah. I always felt like, when I, and when I think about your songs, I always think, man, Joe Diffie sounds like he's, like he's having a good time. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. that would be if I were to, like, talk about, if someone's like, what's Joe Diffie sound like? I would say, it's not like he's smiling, like he's having fun <laughs> yeah. singing about country. Yeah. So, yeah. what, what do you? How do you feel about these these artists like the the Luke Combs? Um, I'm I'm setting you up here, but but the guys that are really super traditional style again. Yeah, yeah. does I that excite it. you? I love it. Yeah, I mean, country's always been a little bit cyclical, you know, and it's a, it goes from one thing to another, kind of vacillates back and forth. So, uh, I love Luke. I, I got to. Uh, along with Vince Gill and a couple other folks, got to induct him into the Grand Ole Opry recently, so that was pretty cool. Whenever the Aldine song 1994 came out, yeah. and the famous lyric is Joe, Joe, Joe Diffie. Joe, Did you know this was coming? Yeah, yeah. I actually had heard, it started off somebody contacting me and said, man, there's a song somewhere out there that has your name in it. I said, oh, really? So somehow we got a copy of it. It was a demo. Uh, you know, Thomas Rhett was, was one of the writers on that. And so uh, the first time I heard it was Thomas Rhett's version, you know. And it was a lot more uh, kind of rap feeling than than that than Jason's version. Jason has a lot more guitars and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I just like my, me and my band members were sitting around. I said, here's that song. Got my name in it, apparently. So <laughs> I put it in there, and it had all that. <laughs> we're looking at each other like, what the hell is that? You know, so. Joe, Joe. Did they bring you out? Or wait, where was it? Were they doing this in an award show? It was ACMs. They had, had the giant head. Is that what it yeah. was? <laughs> I never remember seeing it. it was, that's what it was. It was the, yeah. the giant head. It dropped out of the ceiling. Yeah. Did you find when that song comes out that people were going, like younger kids, were like, who the heck is Joe Diffie? Yeah. Like 12-year-olds. Dude, I'm, I'm, that's a good setup for, for saying this, that, that because of Jason and uh, Thomas Rickus, Thomas does that song in his show, as well, you know, and so they're getting they're, it's being heard by a lot of people, you know, and so I we our tr our crowds have just been tremendous and a lot more, you know, younger people and they know every deck I'm word to every song, which is pretty amazing. Back in the day, there was that the TV commercial. <laughs> there was, I think, they did Pickup Man. Pickup Man was used in a, in a maybe a car truck commercial. Ford truck tr commercial, yeah. And did they redo the words a little bit in it? Well. Yeah, I, I th or did they get another singer, no, or what was it? No, that was that was actually me on camera. That it's the same one you're talking about. Uh, that that commercial actually they aired on the super during the Super Bowl. So that's when that commercial aired. Yeah, you were in the Super Bowl commercial. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Isn't that cool. I got more people though that had no idea who I was that saw that and were like, "Hey, you're that pickup guy," you know. So, people would recognize you yep. for being the pickup guy from the commercial mm -hmm. more. Oh, because I was on camera too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. But they would see you from the. It's interesting because I was talking to Brad Paisley a couple weeks ago, 
And I said, hey, what are, are people like coming up to you as the insurance guy? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, a lot of people don't even know that I do music because right. they don't know country music and they only know me from the, I think the nationwide commercials. Yeah. 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 That, that's right, Mike? Yeah. And so people are coming up to you and, and you're the Super Bowl commercial guy? Yeah. Is that a nice payday to do a Super Bowl commercial? Yes. Dang. It's very nice. I love paydays. <laughs> See, I grew up poor. That so. song, though, has made me probably more money than any of the other songs I've had. And I didn't write the song. Uh, a couple of friends of mine wrote it. And uh, so they get paid as well, you know, but uh, for, for the royalty publishing and all that stuff. So, <clears throat> But it was also an Applebee's commercial. and uh, Was it their, like, cars to go service? It was like, yeah, you pick up. Yeah, they changed the lyrics on it and... Uh, I'll tell you the the miracle of modern stuff, you know. I had this little studio in my house, and and so somehow we got, uh, my booking agents got, they they said that they were interested in using Pickup Man as a part of an Applebee's commercial. And so they sent me a CD of it, uh, just the music, and the lyrics changed it, that they had rewritten it, basically. And uh, so I just took, stuck it in the thing, read the lyrics, sang it down, Took me about an hour, and I sent it back. I thought it was going to be like a presentation or a demo for them, and they they used it. Oh, they that's did. what they used, <laughs> and they kept renewing it. Man, it's like this is great. I said, can I get some more of those commercials? Is that where it is? Like in the sync yeah. stuff? Boy, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you can get it, if you can get a get in one of those deals, that's a pretty good deal. What's uh, touring like for you now? It's great. You doing a bunch of shows? A lot. Yeah. I've, this is. I've been working working a lot, and uh, probably. Uh, you know, just staying really busy, which is really good. I like working, you know. I, I, we were talking earlier that the travel part gets a little old, you know. You get tired from that. But, uh, I mean, you know, get to sing, do, play around, mess around all the time. It's like, it's like I told my guys, it's like we're on a big camping trip all the time, you know. So we have fun. You worked in an oil field for a while. I did. You drove a truck to pump cement. Is that true? Yeah. What was that work like? It sucked. Yeah, it was for a company called Halliburton. And uh, I, uh, oddly enough, who were headquartered, they used to be headquartered in Duncan, Oklahoma. But I had to move to Alice, Texas to get to work for them because I had an uncle that worked for them. And uh, so I, did, I didn't do that for very long. I was there for about, I don't know, three, four months or so. And I just, it was like you're gone all the time. And, the, um, you know, just the pay was not that great. And, uh, so I just decided I didn't like that. So I moved back to Duncan and got a job in that foundry. So, so what about you going to medical school? That's I, I always, if you'd have asked me when I was a kid, I, that's what I always wanted to be was a doctor. And I used to read medical books and I follow my parents around reading them facts and figures on that kind of stuff. You know, what'd your mom and dad do? Uh, they were both uh, teachers. My dad uh, did a little bit of everything. He had his own welding company for a while. He had a repossession company for a while which he didn't so really he was like. having to repo cars yeah he didn't like that, he didn't, that like in the middle long. of the night like yes. go and wow that's a dangerous oh, it's very dangerous he got shot at a couple of times he said he didn't like that so wow yeah so he he actually built since he was a welder he built this rig on the, uh, the like a hook that, that was hydraulic and it would come out of the out of the back of the pickup and the tailgate would lower down and he would just back up to the cars and pick them up and drive off with them that's a crazy line of work, Joe. It is, man. Yeah. And thinking as we get as kids, we see adults do things more like that's just kind of normal. Right. But as you get to be an adult, and you see other adults repoing and people shooting at them, yeah, that's 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 crazy. crazy. Yeah, he, he didn't last long at that. He didn't like that at all. So, and plus, you know, you're having to, and, and he just just the human element of it. A lot of people they couldn't, you know, they were behind on their payments through whatever. 
Some of them were just yeah. bums, and some of them just lost their jobs or something, you know, or were ill. And he'd have to, the bank would, you know, tell him to go get this car, you know. So he had to work with the bank a lot. And so he, he didn't like that either because people, then people had to come. He had to tow it to a yard, and then people came to the yard, and he had to be out there while they gathered their belongings out of their repossessed car, you know. Wow. Yeah, so he didn't like that. 1993, you were inducted into the Grand Ole Opry? Yeah. That's a real special thing. That was one, one of my highlights of my career, I think. Consider it, you know. How did you get told you were going to be in the opera? <laughs> kind of the same way I got told by record deal. I went out to the, the opera and and uh, met with the guy who I can't remember his name right now. He was the head of it back then, and just have, I th- I don't know why we were even out there. I was out there with my managers, and he goes, well, "How would you like to be a member of the Grand Ole Opry?" I'm like, "Yeah." So that really, really, that's how I got my record deal and the Grand Ole Opry thing. So it was pretty cool. Pretty low key invitation. It was very low both. key. Yeah. yeah. Is it true that your parents and your parents said you could sing harmonies when you were three years mm-hmm. old? Yeah. Now nah, you probably can't remember. You remember three? Yeah. You do remember three? I remember singing in our. We had a pickup, and uh, I had two sis. Have two sisters, and so we would all be five. All five of us be in the truck, and to keep us occupied, and, and you know, from screaming at each other, they would sing solid, little simple songs. You know, little, little kid songs, and we. would Sing along with them. So, and at three, you could harmonize. Uh-huh. I just hear, I just heard it. I just it was in my head. I could hear it. Were you always a really good singer as a seven year old? As in church or wherever you were singing? Were you always the? I, I guess you know it's hard to value, hard to judge it. You know. I guess were you rewarded for your singing at a very young age? Were people telling you, "Wow, yeah, Joe"? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember my aunt got me up in front of with her band, and I got up and sang "You Are My Sunshine" or something like that. You know, and so it was pretty cool. What was it like in the 90s touring with no internet and no cell phone and no Google Maps? Do you ever just end up with the bus in a wrong town? Oh, absolutely. Oh, you would? Oh, yeah. We, you know, of course, you have to get the map out, and then you had to know. You, and, hey, even our satellite, we had, did have a satellite dish, but the bus had to be stopped, and you had to like physically enter in, get the atlas out, and figure out your latitude and your longitude. And enter those coordinates in, and then it would raise up. Yeah. So. Would you ever get somewhere, and because there weren't cell phones, realize there was no show happening anymore? Or <laughs> no, like you get there and like, nah, we try to get a hold of yeah, you, but no. the carrier pigeon, you know. <laughs> no, we never, unfortunately never had that happen. But what kind of country music artists are you drawn to now? Uh, I I guess I have a tendency to, to lean more towards the country or the country side of things, you know, which. Uh, you know, so uh, I, I, you know, I enjoy Luke and you know Brad Paisley and a couple other guys that, that that I think are good, good, good singers. You know, growing up, who was your favorite? Oh man, uh, well, it'd probably be, have to be George Jones. I mean, that's who I uh, emulated. So you know, learned a lot just by emulating him. But I mean, I I, I had a whole range of you know, of course I, I had the regulars that everybody mentions: Haggard Jones, Johnny Cash, you know, Conway. There was, you know, a whole plethora of those people, but uh, but I, I, you know, I actually like, I loved uh, Loretta Lynn and Dolly Parton as well, you know, and Connie Smith, and so I heard a lot of those. Being from Oklahoma, and and I'll preface it with my story. I'm from Arkansas, so it was Johnny Cash and Conway Twitty, and you can, you, I mean, listen, Wichita Lineman was so big too. Oh, Anybody from Arkansas was a big deal to us because there weren't a lot of us right. who made it on any sort of national stage. Yeah. Being from Oklahoma, who was it that you looked at and was like, "Wow, like this is one of our guys doing it, or one of our girls doing it"? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, they they aren't that much older than I am, but I mean, Reba, 
advanced. They yeah, they were already involved in doing stuff before I ever moved to Nashville. So that was pretty cool to, to see that. And you know, you kind of kind of take that and you know feel good about it. Man, that's crazy. Like I, I did the um, Mike. What was the thing in DC I did with Reba? Uh, Kennedy Honors. I did the Kennedy Honors for oh, Reba. Yeah. I got to go. I did went up and did ten minutes of stand up. And there was like six of us that presented to Reba. It was me and Brooks and Dunn and Kristen Chenoweth and Kelly Clarkson. But anyway, so I go up and I'm doing comedy, but I'm also talking through as I'm doing comedy Reba's Oklahoma Life. Oh, yeah. Where yeah. she was, it was, you know, doing uh, the, the work in the rodeos. Right. Like singing the rodeos. Yeah. And, you know, to I think that's how she got discovered. Singing the national anthem at the rodeo. Yeah. Yeah. Tex Ritter, I think, is the one. Who for you saw you sing? I know you got a record of it. Who saw you randomly? If anyone, and they were like, "Man, I think there could be like you're actually pretty good there, Joe." Did you ever have one <laughs> well, of those moments? There was this old drunk guy at a bar yeah. in Fort Worth, <laughs> Oklahoma. He, he threw literally threw five dollars at me. Said, "Son, you ought to move to Nashville. You're really good." So, yeah. you ever see anybody cover your songs nowadays? And you go, "Man, that's a really good version of that song." Uh, I've I've heard a couple of them. Yeah, it sounds real good. You know, it's, it's fun. It's fun to me to hear them. You know, if you could pick one of your songs to be covered again now and be made a hit again. Which which song would you like to see reborn? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, well, I know my favorite song is uh, "Ships That Don't Come In." Oh, come on! I you love know? that. Let me play. Let me let me listen to that. To all the soldiers who have ever died in vain, the insane locked up in themselves, the homeless down on Maine. So, everybody listening right now, there's a lot of artists that listen to this podcast. Ships that don't come in. That's the cover to do. Yeah, it is, man. It's, it's, it, that's such a great song. I've I've told the writers, uh, Dave Gibson and Paul Nelson, I, I said that song didn't need me, but it needed somebody to sing it because it's just such a great song. I, I think it could have been a hit with anybody, you know. So I was glad I got it. Anybody cool ever come up to you that you're like, man, they're a fan of you, but you're like, that's really cool. They're a fan of me. Um, a lot. Of, yeah, a, a lot. I mean, uh, some people I revere, you know. I mean, uh, I walked. I was going to introduce myself to Merle Haggard one time uh, at the ACMs, and I walked up. And he goes, "Joe, how you doing, man? I'm a big fan of yours." And I'm like, "Merle Haggard knows my name. That just blows my mind, you know." Uh, Ronnie Millsap told me he was, you know. So, yeah, those. That's a really special thing when somebody who you who you idolize tells you that, you know. Can you go to dinner in Nashville with or in Tennessee without being bothered? Yeah, I mean, it's, people are pretty cool. They really, they are, uh, and and I I just always feel like it's really not a bother. I mean, the only time it ever even kind of gets under my skin a little bit is if I'm in the middle of eating. You know, I often say if people are eating or with their kids, yeah, those are really the only two times because otherwise, everyone knows what they signed up for. Right. Yeah. You're no, a public I, figure. You're a public figure, but eating like literal food on the table. I have food, a fork in my hand, mm-hmm. eating something and some. Yeah, but I mean, I, and of course, people don't mean any harm by it. You know, fact, fact. George Jones and I were at uh, to dinner one night, one evening, and and this lady came up, and we were in the middle of eating, and uh, she comes up with her little boy, and, and she goes, uh, "I don't mean to bother you guys." And George goes, "Well, what are you doing it for?" Then? <laughs> He was teasing, of course, you know. So what is it like to be a fan of George Jones and then here you are having dinner? I know. I couldn't, I didn't even know how, I couldn't even talk to him. I didn't know what to even ask him. I'm assuming he has to invite you. Yeah, yeah. And did you guys, where did that relationship, how did it start? Just from doing a couple shows together and uh, and I sang on, 
uh, on his uh, hit song, I Don't Need Your Rocking Chair. I don't need That's your it. rocking chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. Yeah, yeah. Geritol or your Medicare. <laughs> That's the one, yeah. So I did that. That's such a jam. And that was one of the most special things, not only because of that, but I got to take my dad. I didn't tell him where we were going. He was, George Jones was his idol, you know, so... I just took him. I took him. And he said, "Where are we going?" I said, well, "Just come on, you know." So I took him in there, and and uh, there was all he saw: Alan Jackson, Clint Black, and all these people. He's like, "What is this? What's going on here?" Then the limo pulls up, and George gets out. And he was just—I never seen. Him. He was speechless. He just was stunned by it, you know. So That's cool really moment. cool, right? Yeah. Like yeah. of all the moments, like getting to do things for the people that you care about. Yeah. At least for me, has been like kind of the coolest Absolutely. thing I've been able to do. Absolutely. That's pretty cool that you're a big fan of George Jones, and the next, then you're at dinner with George it, Jones. Really, it took me a couple of times uh, before I was able to even t- converse with him because I was just really I was so nervous, and and he was just such an icon in my eyes. But he, I found that later on he was he was just so he's just so country, you know. He's like and he's like talking to your grandpa. He couldn't hear it real good. You know, so you you say something and, and he go, what? <laughs> you know, so then I got him to sing on a on a song with me, and it was really cool, too. Did you ever meet Tammy? Oh, yeah. T- Tammy was one. She loved my singing. Yeah, you asked about that earlier. She, I forgot about Tammy. She was a huge fan of mine. In fact, I, I sang on, uh, she did a, an album of duets with a lot of rock uh, artists, and I think me and Winona were the only two country people she asked to be on there. So that was really neat to get sit there. I mean, you talk about bizarre. All of a sudden, I'm sitting there right next to Tammy Wynette, and we sang it live. We sang it down live. We, it was, you know, there was no overdubbing or p- punching in. It was that. That's what it was. So, were you around when they were doing the uh, tours of stars' homes? When they would actually drive by people's houses? Yep. Which nowadays seems really weird. It's a pain. It's, <laughs> it's a pain in the rear. You'd be out mowing your lawn. So this would happen to, to you, right? All the time, yeah. So you're out mowing the yard. What happens? Oh, you're all sweaty, and you know, and there they, you know, <laughs> here there comes that bus full of people, and they are all taking pictures of you, and you're, you're. Sweat dripping off of you, got grass all over you. You know, it's like, hi, <laughs> how y'all doing? <laughs> you know, how would they find your house? I don't know how that's, I don't know, I don't know how they did it. Because if they did that nowadays, that would be the weirdest. Well, I asked them, I actually made a request. I said, look, I mean, not only it's, it's bothering me, but it's bothering my neighbors as well to have these buses coming and stopping and the, you know, everybody getting out and all this. They stuff. would get out of the bus uh, a couple times, they did, yeah. So, and I guess it's not illegal. No, I actually called and, and asked, is, is there any way we can make this stop? And they're like, nope. <laughs> so, okay. So it was kind of weird. So after that, literally, I'd be out mowing the lawn or doing something outside, and, I, and I'd be watching because I knew about what time of day they came by. And so I just watched for them and I'd go hide, you know, run, <laughs> run behind the shed. <laughs> uh, everybody, check it out. Joe, Joe, Joe Diffie. Each album is individually autographed and numbered. And it's at joediffy.com slash vinyl. Correct. But I'm sure if you just go to joediffy.com, there's also a link up there that says for the vinyl, right? I'm sure, yeah. If you can't yeah. spell vinyl. Because I'm going to be honest, it's not a great word to spell. It's not. B-I-N-Y-L. Yeah. Not the easiest. Are you sure? No, <laughs> I'm not. I wouldn't bet any money on that. Um, as long as there's a bar. Yeah. Well, tell me about that. Uh, a couple of great friends of mine wrote that. A guy named Gavin Griffin and, uh, and Brian Keith Burns, who was in Trick Pony. And he played bass for me for like seven years early in my career. And uh, so they wrote this song. It just reminded me of Prop Me Up a little bit. So that's, that's, that's most of the reason I did it. With a lot of the music from when I was a kid in, in the 90s, where you have a bunch of your number one songs kind of re emerging as a big deal, did that help your touring? 
'90s yeah. country. Be- like, was it like absolutely? It was like a whole new rebirth of, of touring for you. Absolutely, yeah, helped it tremendously. And like I say, uh, with the advent of that song, you know, 1994, I got so many new new fans and you know younger fans. It's just really, it's really been um, pretty amazing to me. Well, I'm super happy that that you came by. Uh, Thank you. Good luck. Hope you sell so many of these. These vinyl records that you're so annoyed with having to sign them. That's, a gr- that's the <laughs> that's greatest a problem to have. Best problem in the world. It is right the there. best. It like, is. I would get awesome. so irritated signing these books, and I'd be like, I'm so happy to be irritated. It was the yeah. greatest irritation. You got to sit. Sometimes, you know, you get a little a little biased or, or, or just worn out with things over, over time, and you, you kind of, it's good to get a little, uh, you know, check once in a while just to kind of, a little gut check and say, okay, wait a minute. I'm doing the best. I got the best job in the yeah. world. I, you know, I could be out roofing a house. Or, and I used to do that. You know, or. I could be back on doing clean. I used to do cleanup from roofing houses, yeah. which is even worse than roofing oh, houses. Yeah, right. So I have, I'm, I'm the, I'm just so lucky and so blessed. I got a great family, you know, and so uh, great friends. So I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure for me. Well, uh, you're always welcome. I got a Christmas card from you. All right. Yes. Did yeah. you know that? I did. Yes. I felt like I was tell- giving, I felt like I was giving him news, Mike. He <laughs> was like, he was like, Oh, you got a Christmas card. I got a Christmas card from you a couple days My ago. Wife sent, she sent out a gazillion, but we're glad that you're on the list. So it was news to you. <laughs> well, she told me about it yesterday. Oh, okay. Good. Or good, day good. before yesterday. Regardless. Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. I'm not going to awesome. lie to you. I thought awesome. it was pretty cool. Uh, JoeDiffie.com uh, slash vinyl. Uh, Joe, good luck and good to see you again. Thank you, man. Appreciate right. you having me. Episode 217 here on the Bobby Cat. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.